Welcome to Cultural Quarter of an Hour with me, Charlotte Foster. This is a podcast all about Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire. We are unashamedly positive about the area and we unashamedly sing this area's praises. We do this by looking at the area's culture. Now this can be anything from events that are taking place, history of the area, but most importantly, it is the people. Welcome to this week's episode of Cultural Quarter of an Hour. Now, this week was not planned at all. Well, I say this week was planned, of course it was. But this episode has um, come out of a lucky coincidence, a lucky meeting. I don't know. Um, not long ago, I was at the um, the opening for Dust Rising. It's one of the early episodes of the podcast. Go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it already. And there was uh, Morris, who I know from my days back on the radio. And also, you'll have heard him on uh, at least one podcast. He was on the Pride podcast. And we were talking, uh, just catching up, and um, said goodbye. And as I was walking out of the uh, Dust Rising exhibition... Morris came around the corner all excited and said, Charlotte, Charlotte, I found someone who is perfect for your podcast. Fantastic. Um, obviously, this is at the Spode um, factory site, the old Spode Works. And as well as having the, um, sort of the first full day of uh, opening for the BCB, the Dust Rising exhibition, it was also uh, the open day for the Akava studios that are there. And Morris led me to Mel, who is also known... Well, I'll let Mel tell you who he is. Uh, job title? I don't know. Right, let me try and break this down. Uh, I'm a person who teaches scenic model making on YouTube. So I'm not sure if that makes me an artist, a model maker, or a content creator. But I'm all three. That sounds good to me. And I've come into your workshop. I've been dragged in here. But <laughs> studio open day. Yeah, a studio open day and sort of discovered you. And I'm fascinated just looking around. It, it, what did I say? I came in and I went, this looks like a fun workshop. And you said, yes, it is. Well, so tell me, what goes fun. on? Well, I mean, I, I teach model making for playing games. So it's all about fun and game playing. But I mean, obviously, there is the business and the work side and, you know, the practical side, which is the model making. Uh, model making because I do so because it's based around gameplay and gameplay can be historic it can be fantasy it can be sci-fi it can be set in the past it can be set in the future it can be set on other planets what I make varies so greatly that I have a wide range of building materials and I'm known as the tool shop for the studios because if someone needs a tool there's a good chance I will have it you know, because obviously I've got the building side, I've got the painting side, you've got the varnishing side, you've got resin work for uh, doing water stuff such as rivers, oceans, lakes. On top of that, you've got casting and model making and mold making for making like window frames and all that sort of stuff. And so I, my, my practice covers a lot of artistic disciplines. And so it's just ram-packed full of toys, models, and materials and tools in here. How did you get started then? And I appreciate that's probably a very big question. Oh, that, that was down to my mother. Uh, my mother is a woman who can turn herself to any craft. She was a single mum back when I was a child living in North Wales. And at the time, she had a craft shop. 
And so being a single mum and not being able to afford childcare, I spent pretty much every summer living in a craft shop. And when you live in a craft shop and your mother makes products to sell, so do you. <laughs> yeah, if you're old enough to twist wire, you make wire armatures for jewellery trees and gem trees that were the craze back then. Yeah, and now I make wire armatures for model trees. So I started when I was five. I started in the little shop and the old guys used to run the, what do you call it, uh, railway set outs. They used to come in because my mother had a small collection of uh, scenic supplies for them. And they used to make me make uh, dioramas for my little toy plastic soldier men and my action men. And it just grew from there. When I came back to England back when I was 15 in 1990, I discovered there was an actual proper game called Warhammer. I got into that. I spent a good probably about five years getting into that before I discovered beer, alcohol, women and the army. Yeah, uh, late 20s, I discovered stress and came back into the hobby as a way of finding it. By the time I, I'd hit the watch call it my late 30s, I'd got burnt out from medical sales because I'm a physiotherapist by trade. That's what I trained to do after I finished being a medic in the army. And I was doing medical sales. I got burnt out. I had a little bit of a breakdown. Decided I was going to run away to my hobby and teach people how to make models on YouTube for a living. And when the wife said, can you do that? I said, I can try. And five years later, here I am. So people can find you on YouTube yeah. showing everyone how to make models. Yeah, I've got a channel on YouTube. It goes by The Terrain Tutor. It's a tutorial-based channel, so it's a learning-based channel. I've got, I think, about 125,000 subscribers. So, you know, it's got a reasonable base. Uh, financially, I'm supported by about 600 patrons. So about 600 people around the world sign on to a, a website called Patron and they give me uh, a monthly wage. They donate a monthly wage in return for supporting the videos and me helping them and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, basically I'm employed by my community to help them with their hobby. How does that feel? You know, you've gone from a background of army and medics. Brilliant. No, to cut the swear language out which you could probably hear that that was an effing brilliant to be perfectly honest there is no greater feeling because not only do you get i mean i i came to this as you know with mental health issues you know i've got you know i had depression i had anxiety i had really low self-esteem and so the reinforcement you get from people saying you've really helped me with this not really helps you as a person sort of heal and get better and then their financial support saying you're really helping me you've saved me money here's a couple of quid i mean i i get charity I, I get donations from people and it varies i can get five pound because someone spent a couple of hours watching my videos and i've helped them in the past i can have 500 pound appear in my in my bank overnight with the same comment yeah because people's disposable income varies depending on how much money they earn yeah, but it's just wonderful. You know, uh, I work for my community and, I, you know, what I do is I help them make better models that let them have better games with their friends and have better times. As, as rewarding jobs go, you know, it doesn't get much more reward. I mean, physiotherapy was rewarding. Seeing a patient jump off a couch, prepare themselves mentally for pain and then look puzzled why they don't hurt anymore until the realisation that... I'm pain-free, my back doesn't hurt. That's incredibly rewarding. People you've never met in different parts of the world sending you money 
because you've helped them with their hobby or you've helped them getting a child's homework project done. Yeah, that's real rewarding. I mean, forgetting the monetary side, just the the message. And so, yeah, it, it's a wonderful job to do, to be perfectly honest. It's the best job I've ever had. It does sound quite varied when you say it goes from everything from, you know, people's, uh, the, the big, uh, the, the, the Warhammer game kind of yeah. terrains to just a child's homework as well. Yeah, and it's not just that. It's it's arts and crafts. I mean, I did a video a while ago just on how to use Daz modelling clay because I, I have a series of playlists called Back to Basics. And what I'll do is I'll pick a material and I'll focus on all the different techniques you can use on that material. And I'm gearing it to, look, this is how we're going to make models out of it. I did one on Daz model, model model clay, and now I have an influx. I think my channel is 3% jewellery makers as well, who have no interest in anything else but the little things that are relevant to their craft. And because it's art and it crosses over, it is so varied. And the videos I end up watching, you know, if I need to learn about resin, it's very rarely I'm watching scenic model making videos. I'm watching the guys who are doing the resin effects and the lacing and that sort of stuff and seeing how I could take those techniques and apply them to my discipline. And so, I mean, I, if, you, if you factor in the technology side of YouTube, you know, and video production, 4K production, podcasting, then you factor in the convention side, traveling over to the States for conventions over there, doing workshops. Then you factor in film production side in the studio and then you factor in the actual model making then you factor in the gaming industry all the genres the different games yeah it couldn't be more varied you know in the directions it takes you in are, are bizarre at times the places you end up learning i mean i i, I understand plant biology so I can understand why leaves go from yellowy green to full green to, to reddy browns through the year. And it's down to the type of chemicals that are in them and how that affects them. Why fir trees are dark green all year? Because it has a different type of chlorophyll in it. Chlorophyll alpha and chlorophyll beta. You know, But in learning why these things are, so you can understand when I need to apply them on a piece... Because it's not just about getting the colour right, it's about ensuring that the colour is right in the composition and the placement. For example, sun leaves, which, are, uh, which have a, a type of chlorophyll which is more energy demanding but more productive, yeah, are only placed on the most sunny parts of a tree. So if you place them in the shade, yeah, you completely ruin the look. And there's a biological mechanism, a survival mechanism from e evolution where we are naturally geared to look at anything in nature that is wrong. So whenever you see a rock or a tree that's grown wrong, you're immediately drawn to it with unease because we're, we're biologically, it's an instinct, it's a survival instinct from when we were on the Serengeti where we were looking for things in bushes that jumped out on us. And so you have to battle that mechanism when doing scenic model making because the say if you put a bush in a place it wouldn't really be, it kicks in that same feeling of unease. So it's not just about the colours or where things grow, it's also understanding that it would go like that, water flows like that, rocks crumble like that and if you get it wrong it doesn't look right and it really doesn't look right so it takes you to learning geology i mean i know why lava has a purple tint or a green tint and why there's a purple obsidian 
yeah because i need to understand where these colors come from and where they need to be applied so i understand you know it's caused by different chemicals in the magma getting crystallized during the eruption and green volcanic glass if you've never seen green volcanic glass there's nothing more beautiful on this planet yeah but it just takes you off in tangents you know one minute i'm learning about geology the next minute i'm learning about what you call it 4k video editing yeah and i'm a model maker and I, it, it, which has nothing to do with either of those i'm just trying to imagine you aged five in the craft shop to now the the, the growth the journey that you, you've been on and if you, you know at five you know playing around there did you ever in any point imagine that it would be this kind of place that you no, would be in because my career was never going that way i mean i was supposed to be a doctor because by trade my mum's a nurse and you know i come from a family of doctors or a medical professional so i was supposed to end up in medicine and that's why i ended up in physiotherapy uh but i joined the army instead of going to medical school yeah which i yeah probably did, didn't work out that well so my career path was never arts or modeling it was always a hobby uh the reason i ended up here was because i had a nervous breakdown and i needed something to do and the hobby was always something i could retreat into and made me feel good like most hobbies do you know and also with it being the arts the arts is good when it comes to mental health being creative is good yeah also nature is good so being a scenic model maker is a double tag if you get what I mean, because you're constantly dealing with green and nature, which is relaxing and reassuring. Plus, you're doing creative activities, which even if you cock it up, yeah, it's still good for the mental health. Yeah. And so what you call it? There was never any plan to do this at all. And it only became apparent after everything else had fallen apart. And I think that's true of most life. You know, you do what you think you were supposed to do until everything falls apart and you actually get that sort of restart where you actually get to make a decision as an adult who knows the world and actually knows what they're interested in. I mean, my lad, he's watching, he's coming up to, he's, he's in his fourth year. God knows what that means in modern terms, but next year he'll be doing his GCSEs, which means he needs to start to choose his A-levels, start to think about degrees start thinking and, I, I, and i'm sitting there and i'm having to have conversations with him and i'm having conversations knowing full well i have no idea what you're going to want to end up doing and to be perfectly honest i know full well neither do you so let's just find you something reliable for a decade or two until you can figure out what you really want to do with your life you know and so there is no planning for this you know i mean i can understand you planning to go into your into the arts but become a teaching model making on YouTube? Who the hell plans for that? Who goes to their careers advisor? Yes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on YouTube and I'm going to show actually, on how to make models of terrain. They, they do actually say that being a YouTuber or being an Amazon influencer is the number one career for young people nowadays because it's what they see. They're on YouTube. You know, it, uh, the younger people are the, the biggest consumers of, of social media and digital technology, uh, you know, the biggest adopters. And so they see it as a career path. And I'm constantly being approached by people. How do you do it? You know, and I always say, you just got to have a passion and throw things at the wall until they stick. But it is seen as a career now when as, you know, you got to remember when I was five, the internet didn't exist. You know, I was in primary school. I was nine when I got my first Acorn Electron computer. And my signature in my email takes up more memory than that had. 
you know so there was no perception of do you want to do this and what's there going to be in another 10 20 years you know for these amazon influencers who want to be Am who knows if what shall it if you know influencer it's going to be a thing who knows how we're going to i mean we've got virtual reality augmented reality just around the corner I mean, that's going to change the gaming industry because our game tables will be digitally generated through augmented reality. Theoretically, it'll make me completely redundant. Do you think that will happen, or do you no. think people will still want that physical, I, I, be able I, to I, touch? I, I think, and from experience, there's a lot of people who, who come this for the game but stay for the hobby. And I think the fact that model making... I mean, I'm still using techniques that, they, that were used in 90s, 50s filmmaking. Yeah. And I'm still using those techniques. They're never going to die because model making is never going to die. Because people are always going to want to do model making. People are always going to want to do creativity. Whether it's used for gaming, I don't know. Whether it's used for some other application or whether it's just used purely as a hobby, you know, in a digital world. Because if, if augmented reality replaces gaming, we're living in a highly augmented world. Yeah, and so I think there'll be a kickback to the tangible, to the creative, yeah, as a way of connecting with nature and connecting with reality, yeah. And so, no, I don't think it'll ever disappear. I just think, like as always, it'll just change. So sitting here in your workshop, you've got tools all over the wall. I've bit. got tools all over one wall. That's the wall. Yeah, that's because that's also a, a backdrop to the videos, so it makes a good set. Yeah, which is why there's foam swords, machine guns, and an inflatable cannon shell on there as well. I did want to go and say, well, what, 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 yeah, 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 we yeah, are here. Yeah, yeah, it looks, it, it looks fabulous. But to all around me, are, I'm guessing some of the things that you you made as well. Yeah, yeah, there's uh, pieces. I mean, if we if we split the room up, then the back wall is my most common tools and materials so that they look good on the videos as a backdrop but also they're easy to grab so anything on there is stuff i use if we go to the next wall that's be beside me these are all my common materials so all the materials i commonly use all my paints my adhesives my more specialist paints my even more specialist paints my uh, my scrap materials for little bits and bobs that i don't want to hit the big shells for and then my spray cans. Across here, you've got uh, your resins, your industrial glues, your fillers, your your stucos, your PVAs, your house paints. Because uh, we use a lot of house paints because of the size of the pieces. It's more cost effective than doing it with artist acrylics. So artist acrylics we use to make washes and tints and effects from. Yeah, but the actual bulk painting is done in house paints. You know, uh, emulsions. Uh, if we move further across, then we have a bank of technology that is for to enable me to live stream. Uh, then if we move to the back, we've got general storage. And this is where pieces, I call that the tutorial wall. Because once a piece has been made, it basically goes on there to become an experiment for me to play with in the future. I generally don't have any finished pieces, big pieces, because the pieces I have always go out to, what you call it, always go out to commissions so they're often built and le i don't get to keep that stuff and so that wall is just full of well let's see now uh we've got a beach scene at the back we've got uh 
an iceberg there. We've got the White Cliffs of Dover there. We've got uh, a Normandy Point halfway through there. We've got a load of rock work and base work for my book that I'm working on. Underneath, we've got uh, we've got doormats to make hedges from. We've got teddy bear fur to make thatch and fields from. Uh, we've got big sheets of industrial insulation that will carve hills from. And then moving across, you've literally just got kits, resin bits, uh, aquarium pieces, 3D prints, bits that are built, bits that are half built. Uh, on the top, you've got, I mean, there's a box up there that's got grass written on it, which will have grass in it. There's another box which uh, underneath it has horse hair, which will have rubberized coconut fiber, which is an upholstery material that we use for making hedges and, and trees. If you go to that final wall, we've got uh, my display cabinet, which is more of a bookshelf <laughs> at the minute. And then uh, my Mr. Maker wall with palm trees, spare bottles, airbrushing, bits and kits, basin, adhesive, water effects, uh, scatter, lic lichen, burma build, casting, abrasives, power tools, scratch, plastic, flocking, plastic plastic plants, flock box, garnish, brushes and pots, water effects, adhesives, fine acrylics and cheap acrylics and scrap uh, scrap paints and that's just half of them labelled. And then you've got the door and the kettle. <laughs> the kettle is important. It is highly important. My brew station is the key. Chocolate, sugar, coffee, I'm good. So uh, I kind of already sort of touched it a little bit. This is the present, we've had the past, what's the future? I had no idea. And do you like that that way? Yeah. Screw it. I haven't got a clue. Yeah. I, for example, okay, in April, I did a Kickstarter for a book. Yeah, with a mate of mine called Dave Taylor. Dave Taylor Miniatures. Guy who lives over in the States. Yeah, good friend of mine from, from the industry, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it sold over 5,000 copies in 30 days and raised quarter of a million. Yeah, in gross sales. That book was agreed to the year before because I went to a show in London. He got me drunk the night before. Yeah, I woke up the next day with a friend I was sharing a room with who told me I'd agreed to do a modelling book with Dave. Yeah, I went down to the show to find him and say, did I agree to do a modelling book with you? And he went, yeah, I said, great, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah, that's the way this whole thing is rolling. Yeah, I have no plans because life has taught me it doesn't matter what your plans are. God will just laugh at you. Yeah, so you're better off just getting a, a firm follow, a firm base, a rough direction in what, roughly where you want to go and just start putting feet in front of each other and take the path that comes along. Thank you so much to Mel and thank you so much to Morris for thinking of me. Mel was talking to me as well. I, I just I genuinely love it when you guys tell me who I should be interviewing, who I should be talking to, because I don't know everyone. as I'd love to. And that's kind of what the podcast is about as well, going and finding people. But it's great that you get it as well. I love that you understand what this podcast is about. So thank you to everyone for getting involved. If you want to get involved, tell me who I should be speaking to. Then just give me a shout. You can give me a, a message on Twitter and Facebook. Social media is the easiest way of doing it. If you just go to uh, Twitter at CQH Pod, Facebook, Cultural Quarter of an Hour Podcast, you'll find me there get in touch, let me know what's going on. And I will always, always do my best to, uh, to find these things out. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week.